Welcome to episode 159 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss the departure of NRL CEO Todd Greenberg, NRL players breaching social isolation rules, and so much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 159 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you faring in uh, this uh, COVID uh, crisis slash flattening of the curve that we're experiencing at the moment in Australia? How are you going? Well, look, Doctor T, I am uh, I am doing okay. I I, I don't know if I am. I, I'm in that stage where I don't know if I uh, like staying at home all the time, or if I um or if I kind of like am sick of it. You know what I mean? Like I think I go through different phases, but uh, I've been starting to go for a walk. Like you know, I think it was like a period of about five days I hadn't been out of the house. So I just decided to go for a walk now, and it's I think it's kind of cleared my head. So. I'm doing all right. I'm doing well. How are you doing there, Doctor T? Oh uh, yeah. Look, I've I've got a I've I've done the usual, you know, the usual thing that everyone has is is experiencing. Uh, you know, yeah, you go through periods of boredom, periods of craziness. Uh, you know, anyone who's got kids and school age kids will know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you're also working from home, work wise, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, there's the old there's the odd kind of. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you can dust off old movies when you when you're talking about streaming services, but dusting mm. off the old movies and going, you know, I haven't seen Dumb and Dumber for a while. Maybe I should watch that. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a, you know, it's not such a bad film. Anyway, uh, this yeah. isn't rugby league uh, movie lovers review, but look, it's uh, mm. you know, it's it's the usual thing. You know, getting getting into all the uh, the usual kind of Netflix. Uh, yeah. shows and things like that uh yeah it's just the usual kind of thing look i've got to say one thing that uh, that has struck me about this whole thing is that uh you know it's the ability of people to really get kind of uh get consumed in their own in their own world while while tragedy happens all over the world in in you know uh we're, we're very fortunate in australia that we've kind of uh we've come through a bit unscathed compared to the rest of the world with this crisis. Yeah. And, and we've been very, very lucky, I would, I would say. And, uh, you know, but having said that, uh, if you were to look at social media and everything, you'd think that the most important thing is, uh, you know, people uh, learning how to cook for the first time, <laughs> um, mm. people learning, uh, learning uh, how to do arts and crafts with uh, boxes they've got lying around the house, people being pretty creative, which I think is pretty cool. It's pretty cool yeah. seeing people. I've uh, seen people kind of recreate um, art, artful paintings, masterpieces with, uh, with uh, you know, photographically, you know, like old paintings. Uh, people dressing up, taking photos, looking like they're from a, uh, you know, um, 
I don't know, who would you say? Not a Dali painting, but one of those other ones that look normal, you know, one of those ones. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that people have kind of taken it in their stride and found ways to keep entertained, uh, you know, but it is a tale of, a, of two kind of worlds, isn't it? Because uh, the real world is a lot of people getting really sick and uh, the health health people, uh, health workers, et cetera, et cetera, the essential workers in the economy keeping everything else going while the rest yes. of us are trying to stave off boredom. It's really weird. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, Dr. T, have you decided to write a book? No, no, Tish, unfortunately, uh, you know, there is quite a lot of material that, you know, I think I think the NRL is keeping us busy as it is with all the news because it's, yeah, absolutely. You know, even though we haven't, we, we've decided to go down to like one, one of these uh, topical podcasts every two weeks, what would you call them, periodicals, you know, yeah. where we just talk about the news and that kind of thing. Uh, we've, we've but they've been fun down. though, i got to say. Yeah. What's that, sorry? They've been fun, um, you know, going back and looking back at it. And uh, I did notice that, you know, after we did the uh, 1989 Grand Final or the Balmain Tigers, there was so much NRL news media on that Grand Final specifically. And I'm like, are we trendsetters here? Are we the uh, are we the Japan of the rugby league world, you know, uh, where we are like, you know, those people who create the trends, you know? Well, you know, look, either – it's a fine line to be the Japan of the rugby league world because either we are the uh, either we're anime and manga. What's it called? Manga. Manga. Yeah. Manga. K-pop. J-pop. Or K-pop. Or or we uh, we're dangerously close to those uh, those game shows where people have to drink beer <laughs> in a cold bath and not go and, and and avoid going to the toilet. You know, like. It's a very fine line culturally between brilliant and absolute crazy. Uh, That's right. And I think I think that actually describes us to a T. So you know, maybe maybe it is an appropriate analogy there. But look, Tish, I, I got to say, while I have not written that 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 book, you know, uh, obviously it, it's going to be about the, uh, the the about the eels and the resurgence of the eels. I'm still waiting for that to happen. It's a biography mm. of the eels, but it hasn't happened yet. But anyway, while I'm well, waiting for that, well, the Parramatta eels have actually, I believe, they've actually broken a record while we're in isolation. Most number of weeks, top of the ladder, <laughs> oh, without playing a game. <laughs> that is harsh. That is harsh. Well, I mean, if you want to, we'd have to, we'd have to get uh, David Middleton to to provide some stats on when was the last time. A team has stayed on top by with not winning any more games and not yeah. playing any more games. You know, you're right. It's been very stable competition. Uh, yeah, that's right. The that's last right. several weeks, but uh, look, yeah, Eagles fans have been crying for consistency for years, and look what we have in 2020. Look, the Eels have been social distancing from the top of the ladder for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, we don't need government intervention to stay away from the top of the ladder. But look. All jacks aside, uh, you know, one, one thing I have seen uh, across social media is uh, some people taking advantage of, uh, you know, not just yeah, the cooking and all that kind of stuff and arts, but, but actually keeping their mind active. And I think along those lines, I thought what I would do is uh, at least until we get back to, uh, to regular NRL programming, which apparently will happen uh, in late May, so not 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 very long to go now, or we may keep this as a regular thing. What I thought I'd do, Tish, is uh, 
is introduce a new uh, a bit of a quiz, which I call the RLR IQ, the isolation oh, wow. quiz. So this is a Rugby League Republic IQ isolation quiz. I figured, you know, I've come up with six questions which some of our, our fans might know about or might not know, might test your, your wits. And uh, what I'll do, I think, before we get into our set of six for today, if you don't mind, Tish, I'll uh, ask the questions now and then uh, we'll, we'll, I'll reveal the answers at the end of the episode. How does that sound to you? That's very good. This is uh, Rugby League Republic. Oh, sorry. Or QI Rugby League Republic Edition, don't you think? Well, not to confuse people further, I, I've called it the Isolation Quiz IQ. So let's just keep oh, it. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Let's IQ, keep it, not yeah. QI. I I Q. The IQ. Just it's the Rugby League the IQ, Republic okay, IQ. Okay. The ISO Quiz. Right. Here we go. So uh, <laughs> look, how, how about this? What I'll do is I'll ask the questions, and rather than you answer them, Tish, I just want I just want to get your feedback on. Do you know it or not? And then we'll mm. reveal the answers at the end. So uh, see if you know this one. Question number one out there, how many NRL immortals are there? So I'm talking about the immortals that the NRL took over that, uh, you know, that concept recently. How many are there of these NRL immortals? Tish, don't answer it, but do you know what the answer is to this? Do you have a... I, I believe yes no? I do. I, I have a... Yes, you're pretty confident. Okay. Well, we'll we'll check later. Uh, look, yeah, we'll check. Yeah, please don't look at the answers. Uh, don't think. Oh, wait, don't look oh, them up. Do not Google. Uh, question number two: Which UK Super League team has Halliwell Jones Stadium as its home ground? Which UK Super League team has Halliwell Jones Stadium as its home ground? Question number three: Which Sydney NRL team was the first to sign with Super League? In 1995. So for those of you who are listening to our, uh, what do we call it, Greatest Rivalries podcast last week, hopefully you'll know the answer to that one. Question number four is a who said that question. So name the person who said the following quote. Quote, it's the first time I've been cold for seven years. I was never cold playing rugby league. And so the clue for that is that it was a dual international commenting on his return to rugby league after a stint playing rugby union. All right, question number five. Who captained Manly Warringah in the 1978 grand final against Cronulla as well as the replay? And uh, it's a multi-choice one. It's Is it A, Graham Eady, B, Terry Randall, or C, Max Krillich? And finally, Or D, Bob Fulton. No. Oh, okay. St- okay, all right. No, no please, <laughs> please don't confuse me further. Uh, and, <laughs> okay. and six, who are the current co-captains of the Tonga, the Tongan National Rugby League team? And I realise that it could be controversial because of what happened late last year. With the, we're talking about the Invitational Tongan team. Let's just talk about the Invitational, the regular Tongan. You know, yeah, Which, which? Uh, who are the current co-captains so you get half a point for each. Uh, one of them's obvious. The other one's not so obvious if you don't know your NRL. So uh, anyway, those are the questions. So look, that aside, Tish, I think I think it's time to get into some really very, very interesting news. We've got a set of six tackles coming up, a rip-roaring set of six tackles. Are we raring to go? Here we go with tackle number one. 
All right. Tackle number one. What is the biggest piece of news we need to talk about, Tish, in the last couple of weeks? Who is who has stepped down as NRL CEO? It's Todd Greenberg. Todd oh, Greenberg, yes. Tish. I knew it. Sorry, I thought we were still in oh, quiz That wasn't mode a question. Sorry. That wasn't <laughs> a question, okay. That wasn't a quiz. That was that's not part of the quiz. Okay. I was just trying to wait for you to come in and tell me. Because, uh, you know, like we look look, Todd Greenberg, yes, uh, announced his departure mm-hmm. last week. Uh, from the NRL in a statement issued by the NRL last Monday afternoon, which said it was a mutual agreement made with the uh, Australian Rugby League Commission. Uh, And look, uh, Monday, is it next Monday, I think, is his final day in the job, or was it, or has it already happened? I think think uh, it's happened. I I think think Monday he was was clearing out the boxes, Uh, you know, he was... uh, you know, he had the shredder out, shredding, uh, you know, the, the lost uh, money, you know what I mean? He was returning his uh, pens and pencils in the right order. Um, you know, I don't know if they had to wipe his laptop. Did he even have a laptop? I never saw him with a laptop. So, um, yeah, so Todd Greenberg, I think four years in, in charge of the game. Uh, of of course, uh, you know, uh, rugby league chairmen at the moment are sort of uh, on four-year terms. It, oh, sorry. It's, um, CEOs are on four-year terms, much like yep. the American president. So, I remember he he was coming in, you know, trying to make uh, rugby league great again. Uh, you know, he was asking us as a rugby league community, not what we can do, not what rugby league can do for us, but what we can do for rugby league. Um, you know, he wanted to. Uh, he believed that uh, you know, change. It's time for a change. Time, you know, changes now. Um, you know, he. Had all the cliches, Todd, but in the end, uh, I think the coronavirus, in a in a kind of weird way, I think ultimately was his undoing. But that for a bit, it kind of I think it almost extended his time because I remember just before the crisis, uh, there was a lot of he was actually already in um, a lot of pressure. And there's rumours around that he wasn't getting along with the uh, you know uh, Lord Valandis, and uh, as as a result, uh, he he had to. Uh, you know, he's had to step down. So, look, very big news. Obviously, when you lose, um, you know, when any sort of sport, any sort of organization loses its CEO, it does mean a bit of a shake-up when it comes to management and things. It does mean that, um, you know, things will change. And um, and let's hope that whoever, I know we've got an interim at the moment, which we'll talk about probably a little later, but, you know, um, you know, let's let's hope that this, uh, you know, as well as, I think Todd did a fair job. I mean, I, don't, I can't think of anything super awesome that he uh, put put in place, nor can I think of something that was like super terrible as well. I think he's just been there sort of thing. So it'd be, it'd be nice to see who the next person is and w- maybe if they could have uh, a longer tenure than what the current uh, role is going for at the moment because it feels like we're changing uh, CEOs every so often. So how about yourself there? Um, reflecting back on the Todd Greenberg era, what do you think there, Dr. T? Has it been a great era? Uh, you, uh, it depends how you define greatness. Uh, mm. look, I, I think I think the key thing to think about is that with these CEOs, you do get. Uh, I think it's it's good to look back at what what has the the Greenberg era or the era of any kind of CEO that that pretty much stays for most of their four their four year term. Uh, what is it that they bring to the table and 
was that the right skill set that rugby league needed or the NRL needed at that time? And I think if you judge his uh, performance, uh, you know, on that metric, I think I think what you'll find is that in some respects he was the right man for the job, the right person for the job, and uh, and in other respects he was not. And so let me just sort of, in my view, let me just break down what I think, you know, I'll start with the positives, right? Let's let's try and be positive because, you know, it's unfortunate, like Todd Greenberg did some good things at, at say, the Bulldogs before he joined as Chief Operating Officer of the NRL and, and then he was elevated to CEO uh, when, uh, was it Dave, uh, who was it, Dave Smith, was it, that, that left and they needed someone yeah. else? Um, and look... When you look at what he's brought into the game, basically, you've, uh, in terms of the positives, I think, I think a few people you've seen on social media potentially talk about uh, Todd Greenberg being one of the most, you know, he's, he was a good bloke. He was always very open with the media and to answering the very tough questions. I don't think we've ever seen an administrator in the game who's as who's been as open. Uh, in terms of talking about, uh, you know, the difficult things, you know, and not shying away from the media when when having to answer these tough questions about, especially the, the typical things that they always have to deal with, which is player misbehaviour, you know, the growth of the game, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's been front and centre. He's been the lightning rod and has copped it all and he's been personable. He's had a good... Uh, good rapport with the media, generally speaking. Obviously, not not everyone's going to be happy with him, uh, just by by virtue of uh, his role the, the, as NRL CEO. But um, but I think one of the things that that I've seen in the, in social media, a lot of the kind of um, uh, commentary coming uh, coming out of people who have really got good standing in the game have said that he's very what he's brought to the game is this level or this increased level of inclusivity. You know, we talk about diversity and inclusion and things like that, but what he's actually done is he's very much transformed uh, the NRL NRL players and the whole culture of the NRL to be more inclusive of different cultures and different uh, traditions and different viewpoints, and and also obviously he's been he's he has presided over the establishment and and. Uh, uh, you know, explosion of interest in the women's game. I mean, and and look at the other things that he's been involved in. The 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 way that touch football has joined the family, women's the women's game has grown and grown. Uh, internationally, we've become more closer to you know uh, the international game has grown. The state of origin has grown. You know, like he's done all the right things in terms of making sure that the game has been positioned in a way to meet the changing kind of needs of the of society basically and i think i think for that he has achieved an a plus grade in my view but the flip side to that and i think this gets to your point which is uh about what what brought him undone was uh was really the the lack of kind of or the gap, I guess, the gaps in the financial management of the NRL. And I think, uh, you know, one the obvious point there would be, you know, the, the coronavirus situation has really brought to bear the fact that the NRL was not in a position to even handle, 
you know, half a season off, um, you know, they, they were struggling to pay to make ends meet immediately as soon as they announced that they were they were going to uh, have a have a break you know uh, you know as most other big companies have or you know as in terms of the government sort of shut down or isolation me- measures uh, dictated you know as soon as that happened they went cap in hand to the government begging for money and that is never a good sign for a multi-billion dollar, because that's what they are. It's a multi-billion dollar sporting organization. Uh, how bad do they have to be that they can't survive without playing games for you know several months? They 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 were struggling to pay players. They were struggling to pay the clubs. The um, they they immediately got the uh, the television broadcasters offside. The coronavirus basically surfaced two of the key problems. One is that we are too uh, too attached and too dependent on TV broadcasting, and that really got shown up with the way that we basically had to backpedal um, uh, our views about what we how we were going to return and all this kind of stuff. Uh, immediately look like uh, rather than us doing a public the good for the public health. Uh, point of view that we were actually immediately putting the television broadcasters offside and they felt like they weren't getting value for money therefore they weren't going to pay us and that completely pulled the rug from under us financially so that was one thing but the other thing which came to light was the fact that the way the way this whole crisis was handled uh, was by him was not very good and again part of it may be uh, the Volandis effect that he probably took front uh, the front uh, facing role in the media. It looked like he was the person making all the decisions when in fact that's really the CEO, CEO's role to be the doer and to to get out there. Todd looked like he took a back seat. And what ended up happening was the uh, there was a bit of a complaint from from say the the New Zealand Warriors team who uh, were not being told what was happening. You know. Were they were they to be isolated from their families? Were they to be, uh, you know, come come back to Sydney? Uh, you know, you remember that that uh, proposal that was drawn up to uh, to have everyone enclosed in I think it was Penrith Panthers facility, all that kind of stuff. You know, what was going to happen to the New Zealand Warriors families? You know, things like that. And they asked for some uh, advice. Uh, so that they could inform their players what was happening and it wasn't forthcoming. And really it was a relationship breakdown. And I think in the crisis situation, unfortunately, uh, Todd Greenberg didn't really, uh, you know, didn't really meet expectations of uh, of the Warriors, let alone of Peter Vlanders. So, so really from that perspective, financial management, managing your stakeholders, managing your clubs and players, uh, an F is the grade there. So yeah. you know, taken taken together, an A plus and an F. Look, his legacy will be about failure in mismanagement, mismanaging the funds, which were critical to the and will be critical to the future of the game. And and on at the same time, being the kind of leader that opened us up to new audiences and uh, and 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 to I guess. Uh, um, modernizing of our our image uh compared to what it was when he took over so 
yeah, it's uh, that, sorry about my rant, but look, I think there's a lot there because I think he he has kind of delivered a lot, but also failed to deliver a lot. Unfortunately, that's the way a lot of people are seeing it, and I tend to agree with that. Um, Teach, what do you think about my you know a bit a bit simplistic view about what uh, what is Todd Greenberg's legacy? Uh, I'll let you have the final say. Well, I think what you're saying is that the strides that he made for the game were in the social aspects of the game. Um, yeah. And his weak point was the business aspect of the game, <laughs> right? I think you're right. And, yeah, yeah, but, but yeah. And and uh, I suppose the now this is kind of I mean we did talk about the Super Super League era war, and um, that was kind of uh, you know sort of the same sort of plot in in a way. You know, we had you know the people that were sort of business minded, um, capitalist thinking type. I, I, Probably that's not fair to say, but you, you know more of the entrepreneurship type aspect of this is how we're going to grow the game versus the traditionalist type of mentality. I think you kind of got something here a little bit with Todd. He was kind of more on that, um, you know, how do, how do we sort of um, you know increase our uh, yeah, as you said, diversity in the game. Oh, diversity is probably the wrong word. How do we make the game more inclusive of of everybody? Uh, you know, and how how do we sort of um, break into other social areas? And I think I think we did make good strides there. Um, the on-field um, play, I mean, we had some really good, exciting regular league, um, no doubt. But I think a lot of the rule changes and just different things like that, I don't think too many people were happy with that kind of thing. So that's kind of here or there. It doesn't really uh, make that big. But I think the big thing is the financial aspect of the game and um, breakdown of relationships. Like you've mentioned the Warriors. Um, there was another thing where, you know, pretty much for the week, for the two or three weeks where we were still working there, and there was the negotiations going on between Channel Nine and Foxtel. Um, essentially, he was he was shut out shut out of those negotiations completely. Um, so obviously, there was some issues with getting along with the broadcasters, and uh, probably some of the uh, negative um, comments that were made by some of the broadcasters um, probably had to do with their relationship with Todd as well. I think they played an aspect to some of the comments that were made. So, um, yeah, look, so it could be one of those situations as well uh, where, I mean, we are, you know, thinking about that breakdown between Verlanders and uh, Greenberg, but it could also be that um, that essentially uh, maybe Verlanders is in a position where to try and keep uh, the broadcasters happy, uh, you know, maybe these decisions have to be made as well. Who knows what's happening in the back rooms of uh, rugby league? It's a bit of a house of cards at the moment. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's see who else is going to make a political move uh, to the top job. Well, speaking of that, <laughs> perfect segue into <laughs> tackle number two. Here we go. All right, tackle number two. Uh, the temporary replacement for uh, NRL CEO, outgoing CEO, Todd Greenberg, is Andrew Abdo. So, uh Tish, uh, do you want to do you want to tell us what you know about Andrew Abdo? Okay, well, Andrew Abdo, you know, he started off his junior career playing for the uh, you know Wellington Bears or something, and then he came over to Australia and then he honed his game in rugby league. Actually, no, we don't know anything about that. Um, so oh, you had me going there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, we don't know anything about that. Uh, we don't know anything about his junior career or anything like that. So I don't think he comes from a fo- uh, football background at all. Um, but, you know, we might find out in the next few weeks. What we do know is that he's an ambitious accountant 
That's right. He's an accountant who now finds himself in charge of the NRL. Um, look, unknown to a lot of um, you know people in rugby league, he's actually done a few things behind the scenes that have been good from the financial point of view. So, uh, so one of them being is that last year, while Todd Greenberg, actually I think it was earlier this year, while Todd Greenberg was in England uh, with um, you know with the Roosters uh, for the World Cup Challenge. He was actually in the United States of America with Peter Volandis, and they were actually having meetings with um, some of the world's largest technology companies, uh, you know, and also with Fox as well about global, uh, you know, so global streaming companies like Netflix and Amazon and so forth. They're having negotiations about what they could do in terms of rugby league. And I believe since he's uh, – I've actually looked at the NRL annual report, which you could actually get from the NRL.com website. and um, you know, he was in charge of bringing in non, uh, non-broadcast revenue into the game, and I believe that that is actually up fourteen percent from last year at two hundred and four million dollars. So, um, he obviously, uh, in terms of being a, I suppose a money man, um, has got that sort of uh, in him. But um, you know, very interesting to see uh, him doing it, uh, him him being in charge of rugby league. I think one thing that um, a lot of people have said is that he actually works very, very well with Peter Volandis, and he's the type of character that Peter Volandis likes to have, sort of working with him. So um, maybe he's just almost like a um, a figurehead without, but really the real decisions get made by um, Mr. Volandis. Maybe that's what is kind of the setup. And I think there's also talk about maybe also having somebody work alongside him who actually knows more about rugby league than what he does to be sort of the head of football, which at the moment is Graham Mannersley. And I think Graham Mannersley is actually a pretty good sort of pick to work um, side by side with um, Andrew Abdo. So um, so that's a bit about Andrew Abdo. Anything uh, you'd like to add about Mr. Abdo? Look, I look. I have just looked at, uh, at the annual report, and you're right, it's very easy to find. Quickly go to the financial results last year and uh, – Non-broadcast revenue, you're right. It increased by $25 million, 14%, to $203.9 million. One thing I'm interested in is what is that really made up of? And so, um, yep. look, although there seems to be a gap in some of the details, uh, you know, because this is not a proper, like, annual report. It's not a proper financial report. Yeah. It's just a bunch <laughs> of dot points. It's a PowerPoint. It's a power, yeah, it's almost like a PowerPoint. It's a PDF document. But look, it does say that the largest contributor to to the uplift, the fourteen percent uplift, being uh, major events. That's sixteen point six million. So, so the so it doesn't say how much in total, but what it says is of the twenty five million increase, sixteen point six million of that is major events, and that's as a result of the new Magic Round, and an improved Origin Series and Premiership Grand Final. And uh, it also says corporate partnership revenues also increase. So really what that's saying is uh, that the focus on these major events is really what's driving this non-broadcast revenue. Now, is that really something that we can attribute to ABDO? You know, I mean, just I'm just saying, we we've known all along that we need to really focus on our events uh, as yep. opposed to other things. So, yeah, I'm just saying, um, 
you know, but when you look again, when you look at uh, while there has been an increase, when you look at percentage wise out of 100 percent, what percentage of uh, our income is from non-broadcast revenue, it's it's actually down on some previous years. So we're at 39 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, of our total revenue is non-broadcast revenue. Last year, the 2018 financial year, we were at 36%. But have a look at 2016 and 17. We were up at 41 and 42%. So even though overall we had less money coming in, percentage-wise, non-broadcast revenue was a tiny bit higher. But it's been fairly constant, to be honest, since 2012. So for the last eight years, we've seen the percentage going from 44, 33, 37, 39, 41, 42, 36, and now 39%. Again, is that something that we could say it has anything to do with ABDO? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. So I think I think that's something that, uh, yeah. Oh, let, let me let me just have a look. So actually, we do have in terms of non-broadcast uh, non broadcast revenue oh, we do have a line item there but it doesn't actually break it down any further so um yes yeah, so i'm looking throughout this document trying to find trying to find uh, some more details about where this where this revenue has come in and what where it's come from uh yeah i, be- no, I, I believe anyway, they're what- using i believe they're using the same uh practices as the bond company as well as uh christopher skates <laughs> Oh, no, no, I don't think so. But, Look, I, no, more I, I there, there, there are some numbers there, but let's say, let's just say, I I don't know what what necessarily. It is a bit of an unknown. This is a problem. I remember when Todd Greenberg came in, people knew who he was. He had been around uh, for a little bit. People knew of him, and in fact, that kind of worked against him a little bit because because they kind of associated him with the Bulldogs, uh, given that he was the CEO of the Bulldogs for a while. Uh, maybe do we want someone who's got a who's a, an accountant heading up the NRL as opposed to, uh, you know, in the past we've had David Gallup, a former Fox, uh, like News Limited lawyer, um, you know, and a bunch of others. Look, maybe what we need at the moment is a financially-minded CEO mm. whose job it is to... Uh, tighten the financial belt and make sure that he is across everything uh, financially, where things are coming, where they're going. Uh, someone whose mind, he's got that kind of financial mindedness that way, is more likely to make decisions with the finances in mind. So again, maybe maybe the, the time and the situation and the context calls for someone like Andrew Abdo to come in and uh, and whip us into shape. So maybe it's not such a bad thing that he's there, uh, you know, in an, in an ad uh, temporary capacity just for now. But who knows? He might be the front runner uh, long term. But I don't think Vlandis is in a hurry to fill that role. Uh, I think he's sort of mentioned, look, let's just get over this crisis this year and deal with it, and then we'll properly do a proper international search for someone. So I, yeah. I think that's a good move. I think so too. I mean, like uh, they've got more important. Uh, hurdles to deal with at the moment, and um, you know I think that's what it is. But uh, yeah, let's hope that Andrew, uh, as he as he does, um, you know, as you said, as an accountant type figure, uh, you know, can sort of help uh, swing the ship in a new direction. Exactly, and 
Well, let's go on to tackle number three, shall we? Here we go, tackle number three. So, tackle number three, the NRL 20 for 2020. Tish, break down. What is all these 20s in this headline? (laughs) Okay, well, uh, lots of people have been asking for details uh, for a while from the NRL, ever since they've announced that they are adamant that they're going to start on, um, you know, May 28th. And finally, they've actually had all these negotiations back and forth with the broadcasters. And now, uh, you know, we can announce here on the Rugby League Republic, just fresh off the press, the NRL Telstra Premiership will recommence as a 20-round competition on May 28th with the grand final to be played on the 25th of October. Um, and uh, furthermore, uh, you know, both Channel 9 and Fox that were on board, they've all signed off on this agreement. The first two rounds of the competition will be counted as current as the current competition ladder is going to remain. So that's good news for obviously the teams that are doing well there. Um, the competition will draw. Uh, the competition draw will be determined in the next coming weeks. So they're still trying to fi- finalize that. Um, but the t- as well as the timing of state of origin. I think the working plan that we've heard so far is that State of Origin will happen probably after the grand final um, period, um, so all the way going up to November. And then the strict protocols for the Project Apollo um, must be maintained by all the players and uh, all the not just the players but also the club officials and the staff and um, will be tougher than any current public health guidelines. So what the NRL is promising to the federal government as well as the state governments that are involved is that the um, players will be quarantined in a way that's actually stricter than what the general public is because obviously there's the health of the players, health of uh, obviously the, you know, the, the, the referees and all that that they need to consider as well. So good news for all of us. We'll get regularly back on the 28th. It looks very likely. Um, I know a few little things have been detailed as well, like, uh, for example, the Melbourne Storm have uh, got a facility now that is in New South Wales, so they will be able to actually train as a team in New South Wales um, before everything starts. And I believe that, um, you know, uh, Peter Verlandes has got a meeting with um, or has got a, uh, you know, got a Skype call or something like that happening with... uh, with the uh, Queensland Premier uh, before the National Cabinet on Thursday. And I believe in the National Cabinet on Thursday, they will be actually discussing uh, the NRL and how it could actually um, how it could actually uh, yeah, get back up and running. So, Dr. T, um, you know, how real do you think uh, – do how likely do you think this is all going to happen? Um, you know, the fact that they've announced the 20 for 20, do you think it's, it's happening or do you think still think there are some hurdles that uh, may block it from happening on the 28th? Well, Tish, if you had asked me this question last week when we were planning to talk about, uh, you know, the the proposed NRL return date, which we've spoken about before, uh, it's really only just come out actually very recently. So we haven't actually spoken about it, I don't think, in our previous uh, episode where we were discussing weekly kind of topical events. And, and if you had asked me this last week, I would have said, the NRL has, uh, you know, it's too soon to come back from uh, from all these social distancing measures. You know, we're still kind of uh, haven't quite flattened the curve, as they say. We're still we're still not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel 
so to speak. Uh, what you know, that was a week ago. Now, now we've seen you know quite a few governments across Australia moving to ease restrictions. You know, mm. there's been moves to phase school school kids back back to school five days a week from, you know, there's there's different phases that have been announced starting with, uh, you know, one day a week uh, and then two days a week, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, there's been uh, measures being put in place even just this week, uh, just, just today, in fact, it's been announced in Sydney, in New South Wales, that, uh, um, you know, th- there's been uh, people are now, I think, I think there's a, uh, you can have a two two people visiting uh, others uh, others in a household, so you can have visitors, but as long as they keep maintain their social distance, so you know you can you can have people over for a drink as long as you kind of maintain a bit of distance, that kind of thing. You know, all that stuff is happening, and at the time, you know, a week ago, the NRL when they announced they wanted to come back and they set a date, people were saying. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. There was a, you know, Brad Fittler was was getting into a bit of a stoush with uh, the Queensland Premier um, <laughs> about this. It just it just all became really surreal, and and now now all of a sudden the stats are showing that yeah we we may have beaten the virus as a, you know I mean there are still a number of cases but they're quite low compared to what what people were expecting and so. There's already plans to return the country back to work, to return the economy back, people, workers, et cetera, et cetera. And so now the NRL is – and we did say this, I think, maybe a couple of weeks ago. Either the NRL are going to be uh, look like total fools or total geniuses. And sure enough, they were the first sporting organisation to say, we've got a plan for coming back. Mm. We believe that. So, you know, maybe something to be said about the scientists that the NRL relies on to estimate things like this because they were ahead of the game. Um, they, uh, We thought that there was no way that we'd be going back for several months, let alone end of May. But actually, that's looking pretty realistic at the moment, uh, according to the numbers and the, the low number of cases that we're seeing pop up every day. So, you know, as for the plan itself, look, it's a, it's a good plan. I mean, what can you say? Look, I don't know how hot it's going to be towards the end of October, that's the only thing I worry about. But having said that, it's a night grand final. Can't be too bad. So mm. why not extend it? Um, you know, it is good that they're not sticking to the we must have 26 rounds like they usually do. It's good that they've gone, you know what, let's uh, cut our losses. We've missed several weeks, but we're not going to necessarily make all of those weeks up. Um, and, and you know what, maybe having it towards the end of October means that it's sufficiently different uh, from the AFL season once that returns, that maybe we, we kind of get to own October a bit. Maybe, hopefully, the final series will be, will stand on its own in October. I do like the fact that they're thinking about doing State of Origin at the end, at the end of that, so they're just going to focus on the NRL until the end of the year. Um, I think that's potentially a good thing, but I think people might get a bit bored. So I would suggest that they should consider a bit of a break uh, in the middle of all that uh, for some international games or something, uh, assuming assuming that internationally uh, players living in, in the UK especially uh, are, are able to get away from that. So, look, 
you're making the best of what you can, the NRL, in, in the circumstances, and I think they're doing pretty well. I do like the fact that they've uh, announced that there will be stricter protocols uh, compared to what the rest of the public are having to endure, and I think that is a good thing. That is a way for them to get on side with the public to say, look, the safety of our players is paramount. We want to make sure that we follow social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, maybe even suggesting things like that they'll be testing players regularly to make sure that as soon as someone is known to contract the virus that they isolate the team, etc. So maybe they just need to be a bit more open about what is their plan in case something goes wrong. Uh, but I like it. I like the plan and I think uh, it shows that the NRL uh, have, uh, you know, have sort of weathered the storm a little bit of uh, the the social media outrage for for them uh, jumping the gun a bit on their return date. Looks like they've ended up being geniuses rather than fools. What do you reckon, Titch? Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, another thing that, um, you know, not just in Australia have the Australian, all other Australian sports are now actually following suit um, with the NRL. They're all announcing their comebacks. Uh, they're all getting their committees together. So it's almost become that rugby league's become the leader uh, of sport, but you know, not just in uh, not just in Australia, but also across the world as well. Um, you know, we're seeing tennis and golf and Formula One all announce um, you know comeback dates as well. Um, you know, just kind of uh, almost like taking the uh, rugby league and the way the rugby league have sort of done it and and gone um, and gone to a similar circumstance. So yeah, they were able to do very good at predicting. They were able to sort of work out. You know how we can um, get the competition back up and running. What we're going to do to to be able to do it done, uh, to get it done, and and I think that you know we should be commended. It was a bit uh, you know when they initially made the announcement. Um, you know we did make fun of the fact that there was very little detail, um, and you know I do understand at the time they really couldn't. Uh, they had to iron out a few things, but look, it just kind of shows you you know as soon as you sort of say to yourself, okay, we want to get started. Yeah, this is going to be our date. This is the date that we're working on. We just want everybody to know that. We're going to start to make our plans to make that happen. You know, obviously, if we uh, have a second wave or, you know, something goes completely crazy again, you know what? Um, nobody's going to say anything bad about the NRL actually having to uh, read Nick now because, you know, because of a crisis, you know, it's kind of, you know, they're, they're sort of in the boat. So, I really like the fact that they've done that. And look, that shows that uh, it shows the rugby league, I feel, is in a way um, heading in the right direction when it comes to all these things. So, look, uh, well done to everybody that's part of uh, Pro- Project Apollo because, uh, you know, we've got rugby league coming back soon. There's certainly happening. The 20 rounds, I kind of wanted uh, 16, to be honest with you, because I thought that the fairest way to determine the winner is everybody play each other once. And I thought we could have had an opportunity to do that. So I'm, a, I'm kind of, uh, I think 20 is still a little long for my book, but you know, that's, that's neither here or there. And um, I think the other thing that maybe uh, is going on understated as well is that they had a very tricky situation with their two broadcast partners because you had Fox still who wanted to, uh, or Fox or, or the parent company, their priority was to try and get as many rounds as possible. And you had Channel 9 who have got sporting commitments already in October and November that are more than likely going to happen. They uh, were trying to get less rounds in. So the fact that they've been able to broker between um, 
two different uh, media partners that have two different objectives. It's actually quite uh, a remarkable uh, set of negotiation skills the NRL currently has to be able to work that out, you know. Uh, plus, you know, you've got three different premiers in Australia. Uh, you've got a prime minister in New Zealand and a prime minister in Australia. They've had to deal with all those people, plus the health um, you know, ministers as well as their own independent people. So, I mean, just that whole political, uh, you know, people that they've had to work with, they've done a great job. And, uh, yeah, let's hope that, um, you know, as they continue to do that, you know, we could all, um, you know, the rugby league is like the signal for all of our lives returning to the way, uh, well, somewhat to the way it used to be before the whole crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, three cheers for Lord Vlandermort, uh, who's come in <laughs> and, and, uh, and really shown some leadership, to be honest. Uh, you know, look, this is a good test. They've passed that test, I think, so far. Mm. Um, let's see what happens when they actually have to manage, uh, hopefully, no more, you know, no no cases of coronavirus. And But it's something to just be very wary of that, it's all well and good to to be uh, belligerent and say we're coming back on this date, and you know we're confident that things will be have died down by then. Uh, but once it actually happens, how are you going to manage that? So really, they've shown good leadership up until now. Let's see if that continues. I have confidence that they will. Uh, I think that they've got some good people there who uh, who who seem to know what they're doing. And you're right. I think. The NRL has taken a leadership position uh, compared to other sports, uh, and and have kind of shown that they've uh, they're on top of the game. So it's such a good thing to have good leadership who are actually proactive, as opposed yeah. to leadership who are reactive and always behind the ball. And I think that's what we've had, unfortunately, uh, for a long, long time in rugby league. And hopefully, with a few people uh, with the right mindset, there they're going to turn that image around. So. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Look, looking forward to the the you know twenty get. Look, you say twenty games though, but I think look partly it could be the it's a round number. It's the twenty twenty twenty. I think that's part of mm. the marketing reason for it. But the other thing is, if you think about it, we've already played two games, which and those games would stand. So you've yep. got out of the eighteen teams, seventeen games. Uh, if you play each other once, that brings you to nineteen plus one more. So really what you, you're going to be doing by the end of it is playing each other once plus three more games. And so as long as those three games are the most marketable, profitable of the games, you know, yeah. I, I don't want Parramatta to play the Titans twice, put it that way. You know, be smart, play the Bulldogs twice, play whoever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Play the Tigers twice if you have to, mm. you know, bring bring the big guns. And you yeah. know, make it do that for us at least, so that we, you know, for for the traditional rivalries, you've got the chance to uh, catch up if you've lost earlier in the season against your your nemesis. You know that kind of thing. This is what we need. We need these kinds of stories to continue. And uh, and I think it's still possible with only three repeat games throughout the year. And so yeah, I mean, if you look at it this way, if we're starting from scratch. Everyone plays each other once plus one more game. <laughs> really, that's the way to look at it. Um, and uh, and so yeah, I think it, I think it'll be good. But anyway, let's move on to tackle number four. All right, so tackle number four, and we are talking about unfortunately four players. 
that have been sanctioned by the NRL for breaching uh, social distancing rules. Uh, and those players are Latrell Mitchell, Josh Adokar, Tyrone Roberts-Davis, and Nathan Cleary. Now, the first three were uh, sanctioned for... Uh, I think it was the first three, was it? There was... Uh, no, actually, it was just Josh Adokar and Latrell Mitchell were sanctioned for uh, basically attending what they call a uh, some sort of a cultural gathering. It was really just basically a... A camp, wasn't it? <laughs> with a bunch of, which, with a bunch of blokes, uh, they just basically went camping, and uh, there was some uh, pictures of them on social media uh, with these other blokes. Uh, you know, obviously all Aboriginal uh, background, and uh, you know, and so the unfortunate thing is that when when that came to light in social media, they were, uh, I think Josh Adokar in particular, it's been said he's kind of pulled out the race card and said, oh, it's been a cultural gathering kind of thing. So um, that doesn't, that hasn't stopped the NRL from, uh, uh, you know, providing them with some pretty hefty fines. Actually, both Adokar and Mitchell received $50,000 fines and uh, with 60% of that fine having been suspended and the representative duo also received a suspended one match suspension, which is, unbelievable um and look it's just really silly and if you look at tyrone roberts davis and nathan cleary they've been hit with ten thousand dollar fines uh like adokar and mitchell their fines have been suspended to the tune of 60 percent, and they've also received a suspended one game uh suspension so i guess the question to ask tish is when you look at that what Really, and so just to be clear, what I saw from Nathan Cleary was some pictures of him on social media. Basically, he had like three or four girls all over him, young ladies, and there was a picture taken. Clearly, they were at a party and clearly they were breaching social distancing rules. Um, you know, pretty dumb for all of these NRL players to, you know, given the precariousness of of the NRL's image as it is, to go and do something like that, which clearly shows their lack of lack of thought and empathy for the reason why the governments have put these measures in place to begin mm. with, which is to protect their own health and the health of their loved ones. And so even though we're kind of uh, end of the tunnel, light at the end of the tunnel at the moment, number of cases are pretty low. NRL's talking about coming back. Some people are saying that's a bit mixed messages NRL to say that you're coming back at the end of May and yet at the same time uh, finding players for breaching social distancing. Look, the way I see it, um, the NRL has not breached social distancing. It never once went against the government. It said we will do our best to to maintain social distancing uh, and and we'll take the advice of the ex of the health experts. And obviously they had thought ahead and thought well given that it's likely that the they were, they were banking basically on the government reducing or easing restrictions, which is exactly what they've started to do. So I think the argument that it, the NRL is having double standards there by uh, fining the players and suspending the players for what they've done is is not a good argument, logically. But the, the thing I'm yet to understand, and I thought I'd bring you in, Tisha, to help me understand this, why is it Adokar and Mitchell got $50,000 fines, whereas Nathan Cleary only got $10,000 fines? What is fundamentally the difference 
between the photos that you saw of them, what they did in terms of social distancing. I don't see any difference at all. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, now, first, I just want to say, because we're probably going to say some negative things about these players at the moment, but all four players are great players, and, you know, they're really good on the field, and they're all really good ambassadors, and it is very yeah. disappointing that we're in this mm. situation with with these four, because, um, you know, even uh, Latrell Mitchell uh, featuring in the um, NRL ad, it's actually, you know, one of the great moments of this year's NRL ad, you know, when he's... Um, got the Aboriginal flag in it, and they really do represent, and, um, you know, they were sort of teary in the, in the uh, All-Stars game this year. So now you've got the situation where, look, we're in a crisis at the moment. There are some strict rules to follow, and if you're blatantly uh, ruining, uh, blatantly not following the rules, and the NRL is trying to be take a leadership position um, in sport and in the community, and here you are representing... Um, rugby league and you're you know not doing that you're sort of disobeying what the authorities are doing and you're doing it knowingly as well uh, I think you know none of this stuff can be by accident it's all you know you got to go out of your way to do it because uh, everybody knows what, what what to do at the moment so I think all four players should have got the same fine um, I think all four players should have been suspended um, I don't agree with the people who think that these players should get the whole season because I think that's pretty extreme. Um, I am probably not happy about the one match uh, suspended sentence. I I kind of feel that uh, you know the quarantine period is like what two weeks at the moment, two or three weeks. I think the argument could be made: Hey, you know what? Um, when the season starts, the quarantine period is usually three weeks. You guys get three weeks because you know you sh- when we should have been social distancing, you guys weren't. So you guys are going to have to show that you are prepared to do it before you guys can come back and play because there is a duty of care that we need to have to our players. If one player is doing the wrong thing, it actually jeopardizes the entire competition. And that's the reality of the situation that we still have at the moment. So I think that's what they have to say. Um, I know that Josh Adokar, there is also news that there's other, um, you know, laws that he's also broken as well. Um, so I don't know if it's just going to stop with there, uh, stop there. But uh, yeah, look, in my eyes, as you're right, Doctor Ted, there's no, there's no difference to the photos that Nathan Cleary uh, and Josh Adokar, Latrell Mitchell, they've all they've all violated the laws in the same way. I know Nathan Cleary's got this whole thing that oh, it was only for ten minutes, sort of thing. But reality is, uh, you know, we're trying. You're, I mean, he's in a Okay, I know you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, sort of thing. But though, you know, like you asked, you're not social distancing, though. You know, you're not going to get yourself in a situation like that if you are social distancing. So, I just don't understand how how it could be uh, different. So, yeah, Tish, and- I got to I got to say, I, I wouldn't want to go to a party with Nathan Cleary because he's only going to be there for 14 minutes until he leaves. <laughs> Because really, yeah, exactly. that's really the argument he's making, isn't it? That I was I wasn't there for fifteen minutes or whatever the recommended thing is. Uh, yeah, that, that, I don't buy that argument at all, and I think that's equally a weak argument. Uh, and uh, yeah, probably should have bumped him up to the fifty k just on that basis. Exactly, particularly if you're going to suspend sixty percent of it, because it ends up um, not being as much as what it should be. Uh, the right. only other thing I could think of, and this is sort of more thinking about Tyrone Roberts Davis is potentially it's probably, maybe it's got to do with how much each of these players are getting paid. 
Um, but then in that case, I thought that Nathan Cleary would probably be on the same amount of money, if not more than what Josh Adokar and Latrell Mitchell are, uh, just based on uh, you know their standing in their sides. So yeah, so I, I like the thought process behind the financials uh, is a bit of a question. So question mark. So um, well done, Mister Abdo, on your first uh, first issue to handle. It's kind of uh, it's kind of confusing. Yeah, that's one way to get your money back. <laughs> Revenue raising. Oh, no. Revenue raising. Yeah, that's right. All right, let's move on to tackle number five. All right, so Adelaide Rugby League player earns an NFL shot. So a former apprentice plumber who grew up playing rugby league in South Australia is the latest Aussie to earn a crack at making it in the NFL. Defensive end Matt Leo, who is 27 years of age, has been assigned to Philadelphia Eagles for the upcoming season as part of the NFL's International Player Pathway program. And that's the same program that helped NRL star Valentine Holmes earn a practice squad spot at the New York Jets and also develop Jordan Maylata, the South Sydney junior, who is currently with the Eagles. So, Tish, what are your thoughts on this? An Adelaide Rugby League player potentially getting in there in the NFL. Pretty good news. Well, look. It is good news. It is good news. And look, we've had the, now it seems that we've had a steady stream of rugby league players try their hand um, at uh, the NFL since uh, since the Hain Plane um, tried it a few years ago. So um, it is good good to see. Now the interesting thing is I don't know what Melanta's um, current status is with the NFL, um, but I think he's uh, I think he's played more games than what Holmes. Was able to get. To. I don't think even Holmes got to get into a a finalised team. So um, it's interesting how people growing up playing rugby league seem to get a, a better shot at actually getting into the sport than um, those who actually play at the elite level. Um, and I think that's had to do with uh, there is lots of different training drills and methodology that needs to happen uh, to order you know, to obviously get your body to become an NFL player as well as, um, you know, the way they sort of play the game with all the stoppages, the interchanges, the more um, sort of focus uh, sort of way. But, look, uh, let's hope this Aussie player, uh, Matt Leo, uh, can can do well in, in the NFL. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, Adelaide Rugby League, who would have thought that, uh, you know, a player from Adelaide, uh, it could actually be, uh, you know, he could go over there, become a really good defensive end, and he could actually be one of the greatest, well, who knows, Australians to ever play rugby league in, in the NFL because there hasn't been that many. So um, let's hope he, he can do it. So uh, I think well done. Yeah, and look, wouldn't it be ironic if he ends up playing for the LA Rams? So he'd be a Rams player in the NFL before he was an Adelaide Rams player. Wow. Uh, fair dinkum. Wouldn't that wow. be ironic? So I'm putting all your money on, on the Rams. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. And... Uh, you know, if you want a good mortgage, uh, they don't sponsor us, so uh, you don't need to go and use them. <laughs> you can if you want to, but we don't endorse the, the Rams. Do they, do they still exist? No, yeah, I think they do. Uh, all right. <laughs> no Who knows? Oh, nowadays, you've got to ask the question, don't you? Uh, let's move on to tackle number six. All right, tackle number six is about uh, some international news. Tish, what's been happening in Europe? Okay, so this uh, news came out today on uh, Sporting News, but I thought I'll uh, raise it a little bit. Um, 
Okay, so basically the European Federation uh, that runs rugby league in the continent of Europe uh, is exploring a rugby league club competition um, that will be played throughout various European teams. So basically Colin uh, Claywick, who is the owner of the Red Star Belgrade Rugby League team, which is a team that's based out in Serbia, Belgrade, um, you know, and he's also uh, on the board of the European Federation, um, has revealed in this article that um, about a year or so ago, he was put in charge of a working group to examine a professional rugby league club competition. Um, and his dream is to have a similar version of what the Euro League is in basketball, uh, to have that uh, established for rugby league across many uh, a few different uh, rugby league, well, nations in Europe. So obviously Europe at the moment is not really a, a huge hub for rugby league, but it's good to see that the European Federation has is at least uh, has got a team group of people together actually working on a solution, um, which is fantastic news. Just to give you a bit, a bit of background with Colin, Colin is actually an Australian. He went over there, married a, a Serbian uh, lady, and, and has actually settled in Serbia. And uh, apparently that he has um, you know, he's owned the Red Star Belgrade for over thirteen years, and uh, you know, it's been his club, and that's how he's sort of been sort of promoting the game uh, across across uh, Serbia and so forth. Um, and they've actually got a former NRL coach, um, which I can't actually remember who that guy's name was, to actually be the coach there at the moment. So very very interesting. One of the, one of the things that he does point out um, a little bit, or he sort of does allude to, is that um, you know, rugby league in Europe has got pockets of support here or there. Like if you look at the Catalonia region, Barcelona, um, kind of like where the Catalans live, that sort of, you know, they, they kind of have a bit of a following in rugby league there. Um, there were talks, I remember in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, of uh, rugby league getting very popular in like uh, countries like uh, Russia as well. So, you know, and now you've got some Serbian teams also, you know, playing rugby league, getting a bit of a following. So, you know, rather than trying to create, separate competitions in all these places and really struggling, maybe what they can do is actually, you know, team up and actually say, okay, let's have, uh, you know, a Serbian team, a, uh, a French team, a uh, Russian team, maybe, you know, a couple of other nations they can sort of handpick as well. Um, you know, who knows, let's get some people with those sort of backgrounds that, um, you know, grew up in Australia to actually uh, come and play in the European competition as well, just to bring the level up. And this might be a good way to try and promote rugby league in Europe. And uh, very, very interesting concept. Um, the other notable thing about the team from Belgrade is that they actually uh, they've actually pulled out of Division Three of the English Super League competition to try and focus their effort in trying to get this team uh, get this uh, competition established as well. So um, very, very interesting news happening at the moment in rugby league in Europe. So, Dr. Absolutely. T, your thoughts? Yeah, look, so you're right. They they only just announced, I think we spoke about it as well, that they were, were going to enter, it's called League One, I think, in the UK. And so they only just announced that a few months ago. So obviously they've taken a bit of a, a, a change of direction. Uh, the coach you were looking for is Phil Economides, is uh, the coach of Red Star Rugby League Club there in Belgrade. Yeah. Uh, and uh, of course, that's part of a, a suite of other 
Red Star Sports Society kind of with the same name across all sorts of different clubs, including soccer, etc., different sports. Um, Look, my view is I think when things like this happen, it's a sign that uh, the game is maturing uh, in Europe Mm. because the way that we were heading before was introducing clubs to the UK Super League. and, you know, we've seen, you know, now we've got Toronto there as well. So it's a transatlantic competition as well, um, rather than just a, a UK competition. It wasn't even, you know, when Catalans was there, there's talk of Toulouse and, and you know, other kind of uh, themselves, uh, Belgrade as well, uh, potentially coming in. And, and look, I think the key thing here is that, now that we're looking at, well, now that we've got some successful clubs or su- some successful possible venues or areas of expansion, potentially the better model would be rather than diluting or reducing the strength of the game in the UK is, especially in the in the era of Brexit as well, <laughs> that's another thing yeah. that's going to be a bit yeah. awkward, um, is, is letting the UK teams play play the Super League in the UK and then maybe maybe looking to expanding the concept to allow for more teams across Europe to join. Uh, potentially what you might see going forward is uh, the UK Super League being one, one league and then a European league uh, forming with without UK teams and... Uh, and then potentially you could see a bit of a Super Bowl of sorts at the end of a season yeah. where mm. the winner of the UK League plays, uh, the Euro League plays the UK Super League winner in uh, in an ultimate Brexit showdown. Um, you know, that would be pretty awesome. And I think the fact that we're talking like this is, and, it, and that it's not out of the realms of possibility means that, uh, you know, that that's a good sign that the game is actually maturing. You know, we've got potential for teams in you know we've seen uh quite a few bits of news in the last few years of teams in spain some big games being played in madrid barcelona um you know uh or barcelona in particular sorry um and obviously france has a bit of a presence there we've seen italy potentially coming into into uh some context there uh, and, and so, look, there's a lot, there, there's a potential for the the Euro League to actually get off the ground and start with something. And I think that will be a very good thing. What I don't want is to lose what the uh, strength of the European teams that are uh, fighting for inclusion in the UK Super League. So, would you know, potentially you, you do want them to withdraw from that and, and help start up the Euro League. But, uh, you know, I don't think many players will want to go for a, a totally new league uh, out of nowhere. But I think this is actually the case where we need the global media conglomerate to come in and start a league out of nothing and put their money towards it because I think it will actually attract quite a bit of attention. And again, this is how you wanted Super League to, to kind of start. Rather than ripping apart a successful league, what you want it to do is to leverage the successful league and build and expand on a new one while acknowledging that the only way to do it is to actually bankroll these new franchises, these new clubs. And so I think that's a good thing that they're looking at this. Uh, let's. It remains to be seen what, what happens, but uh, I think it's a very positive sign uh, Tish, final thoughts on that? 
Yeah, look, uh, what I was going to say is that uh, just um, I think also one of the things that they hopefully do explore is the timing of when they actually start this competition. I think if you, you know, they don't need to have a big competition when you start. You could you could just be a two to three month thing. And, you know, if it sort of coincides to, towards the end of the uh, rugby league season in Australia and England, what you could have is you could have like, um, you could have pl- uh, players that have that uh, ethnic background or that national you know, that sort of uh, nationality background, um, actually go and um, sort of help out some of these teams as well, you know. Uh, imagine the Trovic brothers uh, going and actually, you know, sort of um, helping out the country of their granddad, you know. That could be something that could be very exciting as well. And I think that would probably uh, probably give a bit more attention to the game as well. So um, I think there is a really good opportunity uh, to do it this way, and I think this might be a, a better way than, as you said, uh, or as, as we kind of alluded to earlier, which is having, you know, trying to establish an Italian competition and then trying to establish a Spanish competition and then doing the same thing in Serbia and then doing the same thing in all these different areas, but not really. I mean, you might get one or two clubs that, you know, can get a regular following, but ultimately, you know, the whole league struggles every year. Um, this could be um, something that you could actually, you know, just sort of bring everybody together and actually uh, create a competition, a super league of sorts. And I think it's a great, yeah, look, it's interesting. And uh, let's hope that they are successful in figuring out what the next steps are. Absolutely. Oh, well, that wraps up our six tackles. But before we go, we've got the answers to the uh, the very first edition of the Rugby League Republic IQ isolation quiz. Tish, no cheating. Uh, I'm going to reveal the answers. Let's see if you got these right. The question number one was how many NRL immortals are there? Tish, do you know? Okay, well, this is what I think, is that Andrew Johns is the eighth immortal. And after him, there were, I think there was four more that got added. So I'm going to say 12. Oh, oh, so close. The answer is 13. You were right. Andrew Johns was the eighth. So there was Clive Churchill, Reg Gasney, Johnny Raper, Graham Langlands, Bob Fulton, Wally Lewis, Arthur Beetson, and Andrew Johns. And uh, recently they put in five extra people, Daly Messenger, Dave Brown, Frank Burge, Norm Proven, and Mal Meninga. So that makes 13. Okay. So we've got a full squad there of NRL Immortals. 13. All right, question number two. Which UK Super League team has Halliwell Jones Stadium as its home ground? Okay, so I know that I think the JJB is Wigan, (laughs) right? Um, And I can't remember. I I know Leeds has got a different name. Um, There's somebody called the Willow. So I'm going to say Hull FC. No, unfortunately, it's the Warrington Wolves. Oh, the Wolves, of course. The Warrington Wolves, yeah. Look, this may be an easier one. Which Sydney NRL team was the first to sign with Super League in 1995? As far as we know, know, I believe it was the Bulldogs. I think you are correct. The Bulldogs. Kennedy brings some Bulldogs out there uh, if you're keeping score. Uh, Question number four, who said that? So the quote was, it's the first time I've been cold for seven years. I was never cold playing rugby league. Tish, this is a bit of an obscure one, but for those who have been following some of my comments over the years, I'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Do you have any idea who that who made that quote? Well, I'm thinking of, uh, as you said, a player that kind of came back to rugby league later on. So I'm going to say the big Dell Windle Sailor. 
No, actually, it was way before that. Uh, it was Welsh uh, player, Welsh dual international, Jonathan Davies, who oh, was wow. uh, quite big. Yeah, this is probably a generation before your time, Tish. But yes. hopefully some people, some of our listeners out there will remember him. I remember that quote very well, and it was a cracker. And he uh very good personality as well. So, uh, you know, funny man. Question number five, who captained Manly Warringah in the 1978 Grand Final against Cronulla as well as the replay? Graham Eady, Terry Randall, or Max Krilich? Tish, what do you think? Okay, because it goes 1978, and I think I've seen the Firebrows documentary. I'm going to say that it was Max Krilich. Correct. Absolutely correct. And uh, finally, who are the current co-captains of the Tongan National Rugby League team? Okay. I'll say Cece uh, Takeyaho. Correct. And <laughs> now I'm trying to think of his name, Tamalolo. That's right, Jason Tamalolo. Well done, Tish. One full point there because you got <laughs> both of them correct. Takeyaho and Tamalolo. So there you go. How's that for the first uh, ISO quiz, Rugby League Republic ISO quiz? You did pretty well. Hopefully oh, those you. of you out there did well as well. Uh, we'll, I think we'll continue to do this, see how you go. We may uh, post it on uh, on our website, but I think uh, a bit of a fun thing to do while we're in isolation, uh, at least for the next few weeks. So, uh, Tish, uh, look, before we finally wrap up, I do want to say that we have, uh, we have a, a Twitter account as well. So if you guys want to catch us on Twitter, please follow us, uh, like any of the tweets that we put out. So our, our handle is RL underscore Republic. So uh, catch us on Twitter as well as on Facebook. And also check us out on com. And don't forget to like and uh, and follow and download, etc. Our and share our podcasts as they come out on iTunes. So Tish, over to you to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. And look, I'd like to thank everybody out there for listening to the show. Um, but look, that's all that time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.